for a message this morning, my mind went to how do we process and what do we do with what we've heard for the last week and a half? Now, hopefully, as we've, I was just talking about, hopefully that all of us were challenged and convicted this last week during the tent meetings. So how do we go about, once the Lord has spoken something into your heart, and you've been convicted of something, then what? What's your responsibility now? Hopefully, if you were convicted of something this week, you came before the Lord and you dealt with that. And you made a change. And you've set a course in your heart and life that I'm going to, this is, I'm done with that. Lord, thank you for showing me that. I don't want to be that person anymore. I want to be a different person. How do we do that? Let's turn to Hebrews 10. I want to look at verses 16 to 39 for some direction and encouragement on how to maintain a course, maintain the course that hopefully we have set for ourselves in the last week and a half. And if you weren't at tent meetings, maybe the last time you were convicted of something in your life and you dealt with that, how do we keep from becoming that same person in our nature, our natural Bent is to be to go right back to our who we were. Let's look at verses six, uh, Hebrews ten verses sixteen to thirty nine. I think I'll go ahead and read them all right now. It's on the wrong page. Hebrews ten verse sixteen. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds. Will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace." For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. 
it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But call to remembrance the former days in which, after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions, partly whilst ye were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst ye became companions of them that were so used. For you had compassion of me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. So he starts out with a, well, we started out with a prophecy out of Jeremiah. He was, earlier in verse 10, he was talking about the failure of the old covenant. It wasn't enough. And he's comparing the blood of Jesus to that old covenant. And that's sort of the background for where we're starting this morning. This covenant that we read in, in verse 16 is talking about today. We understand that. God has given us the Holy Spirit. And our sins are forgiven, not just covered. In the old covenant, they were just covered. Now we're forgiven. And it says, and he will remember them no more. If the Holy Spirit convicted you of something this week, last week and you dealt with that he will remember it no more did you get that we as humans have a hard time letting go of our failures or of our sins but he was even proclaimed in the old testament once we're that once our sins are forgiven he will remember i think that is a conscious choice of god it's not that he can't he says he will not. He chooses not to remember those sins and hold them against us. Whatever it is that you've dealt with, it is gone. Micah seven nineteen says, He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. And thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Gone. And I say... Put a sign on it that says no fishing. Don't go back and beat yourself up because of past failures. What you've dealt with, if you truly dealt with it, it's gone. <clears throat> Verse 17 says God won't, forget, won't remember forgiven sins. We need to be careful to leave those things behind. Don't let Satan use them against us. I've dealt with that over and over in my life, where Satan will bring something up. I know it's under the blood. I know it's gone. <clears throat> and Satan will bring it up. But remember, remember who you were. Remember what you did? That is a trick of the devil. So point number one of the message today, and I have six. Six. 
Point number one is don't look back. What you've dealt with, don't look back. Of course we remember those things. Of course we remember that that is a weakness that I have. But don't let it hang over you and feel like a failure. Verse 19. Because those sins are gone, because he has forgiven you, because you are now right before God, because you have followed the Spirit, in his leading and dealt with whatever it was he showed you. Look at verse 19. It says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. You've dealt with it. Because you've dealt with that sin, enter. That's the second point. Enter. You have the right to walk into the presence of of the God of this universe. We take that right very, very lightly. You are his child. Enter into the holiest of holies. And I don't know that we really can truly grasp what, what, what I'm saying, the, the depth of what I'm talking about here. The holiest of holies where, was, where the play, was the place in the temple where the Old Te- in the Old Testament the priests would go once a year to offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people. The priests had to be perfectly covered. It had to be everything perfect before he could come into that place. In fact, if they didn't, they were struck dead. And because of that fact, I mean, if they were not perfect before God... As according to the law, they actually would take a rope and tie it around their ankle that was long enough that it would stay outside the holiest of holies. Because if they offended God by bringing sin into the holiest of holies, they were struck dead and nobody could go in to get them out. So they would wear a rope so that if they were struck down, somebody could drag them back out. Verse 19 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Do we realize the privilege we have to enter? I say enter. When we've dealt with those sins, when we've come to God in repentance, we as his child can enter his presence. If we're going to stand against the powers of Satan that will come against us, we're going to have to enter God's presence. The holiest of holies and spend time with God. The third point of the message then is draw near. Verse 20 to 22. By a new and living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil, and that is to say his flesh. Because of what Jesus did there on the cross. Verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart. So it's more than just entering. You see, there's many times a day that I enter the same room as one of my family. You know, one of the children may be sitting in the living room reading a book, and I walk down and sit on my lazy boy. We're both in the living room. I entered into their presence. But am I drawing near to them? But now if I'm on the couch, and one of them comes sits beside me and says, Dad, now we're drawing near. 
we're building a relationship. We're entering into conversation with each other. We're deepening the meaning of our presence together. It's the same with God. We need to draw near to this holiest of holies. We need to communicate with God and allow Him to communicate with us, taking the time to let that relationship grow. Verse 22 says, Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with the pure water. What he's talking about is we need to come before God clean because, well, let's just say it like this. I've tried to have a conversation before with someone who, is, who uses poor hygiene. Maybe they didn't brush their teeth that morning or whatever. It's a little hard because it's a little bit obnoxious. You know, does God feel that way a little bit sometimes when we don't take care of ourselves spiritually, we don't deal with those things, and we come to him with foul breath? And I think God's grace is much greater than what we can imagine. And he does have grace for that. But it's hard for us to relate with each other when someone else doesn't use good hygiene. I say, let's approach God with a clean heart, a pure heart, so that we can relate openly. We can come boldly into his presence. The fourth point that we need to do is to hold fast. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. So if you made a change, and you've made this commitment to God that I want this to be different in my life, hold fast. Don't let it go. It's our human nature. To slide right back to who we were. And believe me, I know that about myself. I, it's my tendency to just become the same old person because that's just who, our natu- who we naturally are. It's our old routine. But whatever God has laid on your heart, whatever he shown, has shown to you, hold fast to that. Set that change in stone and make it stick. And think about, think about the change that you, the last change that you made in your life spiritually, whenever that was. I want to give a, a mental illustration for us. Well, I'll start with an illustration from this week. We are uh, working in Bridgewater there. We have built a set of townhouses, and around back there's a big bank. Well, we, need, we needed a retaining wall for this bank. It's been quite a while since we did much of a retaining wall, and so um, Dale checked around a little bit, and he found a contractor that would do this for us and um, had just a little bit of a conversation with the contractor about what he wanted. And so we went in and dug the bank out where we wanted it done, and we made a nice flat spot for them to build on and um, had several steps in it, and then it steps back down on good hard dirt. And we got a load of sand there for them, or actually called rock dust. The contractor showed up Friday afternoon, or Friday noon at 12, 
to look at this project and to tell us, you know, what all he thought we might need to change or just take a look at it, get started on it eventually. And it wasn't long. He said, now, wait a minute. We've got dust here, but I need, I need 21A, which is a mixture of a little bit bigger rock and all the way down to dust. It's a, it's, it's a mixture that packs, packs really tight. He said, I need a load of 21A. I need a load of 57s, which is a load of bigger rock that drains water well. And I need drain tile for this project. We had forgotten about those. Actually, we knew about the drain tile. But we didn't know he needed those other things. But why did he need them? Because when he gets done with the job, he doesn't want it to move. He wants it to be solid. He wants it to be right. He wants the water to drain out from behind the wall. When we make a change in our lives, we need to do it right. Be serious with God and set it there solid so it doesn't move. You know, gravity and rain and wind and mud all work against that wall. It's got to be set right. The same is true in our lives. Nature, our, na our nature works against us. So the word picture I want to build for us, though, is when we make a change spiritually, it's like laying a block. If you, put a, if you have seen a set of uh, rock steps going up a hillside, so you have one rock, and it's laid uh, maybe six feet deep into the hill. The next rock is laid on top and goes further. And the next rock is laid on top of that and goes further. That's a little how our spiritual lives are. When you make a change, you've laid another rock on that step, on those steps. And each rock becomes the foundation upon which you build the next spiritual step. And it makes that next step a lot solider when the one before it was laid right. Hold fast that which you have, have changed and what you have done in your life. The decision you have made, set it right, hold, hold fast, give it a good foundation, make it secure in your life. Fifth point is consider and provoke. Let's look at verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. To consider is to think about each other. To think about our fellow Christians. And why? Why would we think about our fellow Christians? Leave that for a minute. To provoke is to encourage or maybe even spur them on in their faith. The idea of doing things that would make others want to do good works. Now, provoking is, well, our children, I'll tell a story on them from years ago. We've had a couple roosters that are quite feisty. You know what's fun? It's fun to go out there and provoke a rooster. It doesn't take much. But you know, you go out there and you, if you're provoking a rooster, you do something intentionally. A lot of times just body language. You walk up to the fence and go like this at them and bam, they're mad. You know, you provoke them. Well, what can we do to provoke each other to love and good works? I don't think it's some body language like that, but our actions can provoke others to do good things. And Paul, or whoever the Hebrew writer is saying, Provoke each other to good works. Build each other up. Encourage each other. Spur each other on. 
Now, how do we do this? Let's look at verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. So, fellowship. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. That's how we provoke each other to good works. You know, when I see a person who anytime they can, they're a part of what the church is doing. Whether it's church services, whether it's a, whatever it might be. It kind of sets a standard that makes me want to do the same thing. Not that they're trying to be goody-goody. But others doing good works makes me want to do them. Many of you have provoked me to church attendance. But it's fellowship. When I see that my brothers and sisters would rather spend time with the church than they would doing their own thing, that encourages me to do that. Am I doing that for you? Am I provoking you? Are we provoking each other to good works? We need that. If we're going to hold on to this change we've made in our lives, it is good to have people around us provoking us and we provoking others. So who your friends are and how much value you place on gathering with the saints has a direct effect on your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a challenge to me. Let's go on to exhortation. It says, but exhorting one another, the second part of verse 25, and so much some more as we see the day approaching. Now the word exhort, Webster says, very simply, urge, advise, or warn earnestly. And I'll be frankly honest with you. If we take that as our only definition, I'm not very good at it. We tend to see exhortation as getting on to someone about something. You know, pointing something out in someone else's life. Exhorting them to change something. That's part of it. A very necessary part of it. And that's the part that I don't like and I don't want and I'm not very good at. Okay, be honest with you. But sometimes it's necessary. But there's ways of exhortation that are not negative. Exhortation can be encouragement or blessing someone for their faithfulness. It's anything we do or say that urges our brothers or sisters on spiritually. And many of you have exhorted me. Us, whether it's a compliment, whether it's, hey, we're glad you're here, whether it's whatever, you know, anything you do that makes a person want to serve the Lord is exhorting them on, urging them on spiritually. We can't do too much of that. Now, it needs to be real. We can't do it. We can't, you can't fake exhortation and it work. It needs to be real and from the heart. But we need to be exhorting each other daily. And it says, as we see the day approaching. What day is that? I think that day is talking about end times. 
but it can be a lot more than that. There are hard times coming, and we can see that happening around us. Are we exhorting each other to be faithful? Are we encouraging each other that, you know what, no matter what comes, we are going to band together as a church and follow the Lord. Come on, be with us in this. Exhortation. As we see the day approaching, the day of the Lord may be today, it may be tomorrow. But the day of the Lord may be tonight for one of us. We're not guaranteed another heartbeat. Let's exhort each other. Now, why is all this necessary? Why should we be encouraging and exhorting each other? And this next set of verses are a little bit out of context in here. It seems like it, but when you really think about it, they fit in well. It's a warning. He's giving us direction on keeping ourselves growing spiritually. And then he brings this warning in. Verses 26 to 31. I want to read this now out of the NIV. I read it earlier out of the King James. I'd like to read it out of the NIV now. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For, for we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Very clear warning why we need to be exhorting each other. It is a fearful thing when someone turns away from God. It's a wonderful thing to run to God, but it's a fearful thing to fall into his hands. This is where the devotional came from last evening. And I don't want to capitalize on this. But God's wrath and his love are equal. We hear this, the doctrine of grace. Powerful, powerful doctrine. And it's right and it's real. And I'm so thankful for God's grace. But if we choose to reject it, God's wrath is equal to his love. Just as, awesome, just as wonderful as his love is, that's how awful his wrath is. And you and I have the choice which we choose. Is there a very real possibility that we or someone we know would turn away from following God, would choose to reject that grace, would choose to reject the sacrifice that Jesus did on the cross? Does that fear grip our hearts, the thought of one of our friends falling into the hands of a living God? The battle we face is real, especially when we make changes, especially when God speaks into our lives and we sit through a, a week of meetings like this, Satan wants to do his level best to destroy that and to take that back away from us, to yank that step that we're making back out from under our feet. And exhortation 
is a wonderful weapon that we have to help our brothers and sisters hold on to what they've been given. Let's exhort each other. Let's encourage each other. Let's urge each other on by action and by word and by whatever way that God lays on your heart. Let's be exhorting each other. Last point of the message, don't let go. Verse 35. We're going to jump across several verses here because we... They basically almost don't apply to us. We haven't faced what these people that, that the writer was writing to has faced. We haven't been afflicted by someone else. Most of us haven't. Um, we haven't been persecuted like they were talking about here. All of us have faced trials. But let's go to verse 35. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. Don't let go of that confidence. When we make a change spiritually and we set another step in our spiritual walk, don't let go of what God has done in your life. Hold on to the confidence that that step has brought in your life. Casting away has the idea of letting go of or disposing of something. And Brother Jay gave a message in his message last Sunday. He talked about that couple that for a long time were so vibrant for the Lord it seemed. And then they just let go. They threw it away. And the brother decided that he wasn't going to read his Bible for a year just, I guess, to see what that would do to him. Is it possible that one of us would do that? Don't let go. But why not? Verse 36 tells us why. For ye have need of patience that after ye have done the will of God, which hopefully you have done this last week and a half, ye might receive the promise. We need patience to receive the promise. What promise? I take this as the promise of heaven, the promise of the reward for a life lived for God. Verse 37 and 38 tell us that judgment is coming. This is Old Testament prophecy, but it's very clear judgment is coming. And only the faithful will be saved. Only those that hold on will be saved. But praise God. Verse 39, praise God that we are not of them who draw back unto perdition. You are not, I hope, of those that let go and turn back to the old ways in your life that God has changed you from. Hold on. Let's hold on to the blessings and the truth that we've been given. So I want to go back and look at these points one more time. After what we've been given in the last week and a half, number one, don't look back. Number two, enter into God's presence. Number three, draw near to God, build that relationship with him. Number four, hold fast to what God has given us. Don't let go. First five, or number five, consider and provoke. Think about your brothers and sisters. See their needs and provoke them to a life of godliness. Encourage them. Spur them on spiritually. And number six, don't let go 
of the changes you've made. Don't let go of the confidence you've been given. Hold on. Let's have a song.